Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, here we are. Look, you're in for a special treat this afternoon. We had Peter Norman Day on the 9th of October. And Annie, Annie McLaughlin here, uh, in our star at 3CR, uh, was a, the, is the official reporter for the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee. And we've got a, one hour of interviews of all the people that turned up on the day and why they turned up. So if you didn't turn up last year or this year, you can turn up next year on the 9th of October. Here we go. Hey, Margaret, can I talk to you about why you're here today? Um, I made some badges especially for today. Um, of the athletes in America on bended knees, so yeah. Um, also, I'm on the committee for the Peter Norman commemoration. If anyone deserves any attention at the moment, it's Peter Norman, I reckon. So that's why I'm here. October is marked this way. The USTFA decreed it to be so. It's not just what he did on the track. But how he never turned his back So settle in Sit back It's a story you should know So you're his granddaughter? Yeah, I am So we're here to support the committee So is this the first time you've come? Yeah, this is the first time I've come out and seen this So it's pretty cool Are you surprised that there's people who are prepared to uh, want to mark the uh, Peter Norman Day? We've been following it a little bit and seeing that people have been wanting to come out, so I'm not super surprised that there's lots of people here, but it's a nice turnout. Did you know him at all? A little bit. I didn't get to see him a lot because I was still very young, but I knew about him a And you're also his granddaughter? Yeah, I am. (laughs) So you're happy to be here today? Yeah, I'm really happy that we got to come down, so yeah, it's really good. Thanks for talking to me. I was Peter Norman's first wife. So um, this was in my time with Peter Norman. Um, So looking at that, um, recalling today, you know, almost 50 years ago. So um, at that stage, um, Sandy, this young lady over here, that's my, our second daughter. Um, She wasn't born in that time, but our eldest daughter was born. She was about... 21 months old when Peter ran in um, in Mexico in 1968. Um, yeah, we were all very young in those days. Didn't really know a lot about what was happening, you know, with civil rights and all the issues in America in that time. Um, but I've come down today because, well, we all live in the same community. My daughters and children and grandchildren so we've come down today to yeah just stand with him and it's quite interesting that almost 50 years on that there's um, you know a whole sort of swell again for yeah standing up for what you believe in and when I go into schools to speak um, up in Ichuka where we live um, I I, um, talk about Peter and standing up for your fellow man you know no matter what race or colour or whatever creed, but stand up and um, fit for female man. So this is what it is today. I'll stand with you for human rights. So, um, yeah, a, a quiet you know, time. No words were spoken on that time. And just those few seconds, isn't it, in history that is um, yeah, still continuing to be heard today. And uh, so we're telling the next generations and next generations... Uh, 
yeah, don't be afraid to stand up, even though there were consequences, of course. Um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos weren't able to uh, compete again after that time. Um, and neither was Peter. Um, he did. He ran. Um, he did do running. Um, he was actually um, went to um, Edinburgh for the Commonwealth Games in 1970, and at that time Sandy was born <laughs> here in Melbourne while he was competing for Australia in uh, in 1970. So, um, but after that, yeah, things got a, got a bit tough, and uh, yeah. Mm. But um, yeah, he stood up for what he believed in, and uh, that's what we need to do: stand together. Yeah. What was it like at the time? Like you said, it was a couple of seconds, really, uh, which actually had a sort of huge effect on... Uh, yes. uh, there was a big reaction. Yeah. It was flashed around the world, of course. Um, and what happened with the gloves, um, Tommy Smith and John Carlos each had a pair of gloves um, just to stand there with their hands up like this. But as they were, came out to the dais, um, John Carlos had left one pair of gloves in the rooms so Peter said to them, well, you know, Tommy, you wear one on the right hand. John Carlos, you wear one on the left. So that's how that, that image came. And the badge that Peter's wearing, um, that human rights badge, um, as they were walking out to the dais, there was a guy just standing in the rooms and he said, oh, excuse me, can I have your badge? And <laughs> so, yeah. But um, our, our upbringing was um, through the Salvation Army, you know, social justice and looking out for your fellow man all of those years. So... Um, it didn't surprise me really that Peter would stand with them and uh, yeah. Thanks for talking to me. Can I ask you why you've come today? I'm a member of the committee. Okay, and what brought you to that committee? Um, I've known about Peter Norman, I'm from England, but I've known about Peter Norman for about 30 years because a friend of mine is the son of Tommy Smith. Um, so I've known about this guy and, and it encouraged me to get involved with more human rights things of, of what he did as, as a white person, standing up and showing that anybody can do it. Thanks. Welcome to the, believe it or not, the seventh Peter Norman Day, Human Rights Day. My name is Joseph Toscano. I'm the uh, convener of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee. Uh, before we start on behalf of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee, I'd like to acknowledge that we are standing on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri, part of the Kulin Nation, the group, uh, the Aboriginal groups that own the land in which the City of Melbourne is now established. I'd also like to acknowledge they never ceded their sovereign rights to this land and they are seeking to acquire those sovereign rights. I'd also like to pay our respects to their elders past, present and future. Now, I've got a long list of uh, guest speakers and a long list of apologies. But first of all, I'd like to thank all the members of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee. Those of you who are here, could you please come forward because you've got a lot of work to do in the next few years. Oh, Susan's over there, Peter's over there, Margaret's hiding over there. So uh, it'll be their hard work which will see both the aims the two aims of the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee come to fruition. The first one is holding a commemoration in Melbourne and we've been doing that since 2011. Next year will be the 50th anniversary of that uh, significant event and for the 50th anniversary we hope to have two days set aside. The 9th of October, Peter Norman Day and the 16th of October, the day in which Peter Norman uh, was involved in that courageous uh, 
action. But I'd also like to acknowledge the presence of Peter's family here today, and I think it's uh, a great gathering of the clans. We have his daughters, uh, Belinda and Sandy Cardry. I'd also uh, like uh, to acknowledge uh, the presence of uh, Peter's uh, two wives, Jan Norman and Ruth Membry. Now, I'd like to uh, first of all ask uh, Sandy to come up and speak and uh, tell us about why this day is so important to the family and, and to the people of Australia. the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee for organising today. I'm Sandy Cardry um, and welcome everyone else on behalf of our family. I, uh, my sister Janita and I read a poem 11 years ago today um, at Dad's funeral. You may have heard it before and I would like to read it to you. It's called The Dash by Linda Ellis and ironically she actually wrote this in 1996. It goes, I read, a, I read of a man who stood to speak at the funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates of his tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of his birth and spoke the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represented all the time that he spent alive on earth and now only those who loved him know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters how we live and love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that can still be rearranged. If we could, if we could just slow down enough to consider what's true and real, and always try to understand the way other people feel and be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we've never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read, your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things they say about how you spent your dash? My dad, Peter Norman, lived his dash by recognising that we live in a global village where injustices occurring in his country in 1968 were similarly occurring in other countries too. He said to John and Tommy, I will stand with you, and he did for the rest of his life because he believed in human rights, that we are all born equal and we should be treated equally. Sadly, our world today, 49 years later, does not seem to have really progressed very far. Dad believed the actions he chose to take not only supported human rights, but they created a ripple effect, like, a, like the water um, rippling across a pond. That his actions should then and thereafter should have a positive effect on all those who knew about it. To treat everyone as equal rather than judging, disrespecting and mistrusting. It's time to accept our differences, respect each other and grow a harmonious global village. I know that Dad would have loved for that to have happened in his lifetime. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. I'd like to call on Melbourne City Councillor Jackie Watts to say a few words.
Thank you, Joe, and, and welcome everybody today. I want to make it clear that I speak on behalf of myself and not my council. I know that the Lord Mayor has been in contact with Joe and outlined the process for formalising the commemoration, and we badly need it, don't we? We need every reminder. We need every reminder that we stand for social justice and equality, and it's sadly somewhat lacking in our society today. So what a great guy this was, wasn't it, to, 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 to stand up and, and, show, and express his solidarity at this point in time. And remember what the world was doing at that point. This, this has been a struggle that was going on, assassinations that occurred. This, this guy showed real courage and what a pity his own country didn't recognise that courage until so recently. So I add my voice to yours and I certainly will be working in any which way I can to make sure this, this man's efforts and the efforts of those who are interested in improving our society by creating equality continue. Thank you. Thank you. Look, I'll just read out the uh, first uh, paragraph or the first sentence of the uh, letter from Robert Doyle, the Lord Mayor. Uh, thank you for your letter requesting that Council opens a dialogue with the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee about memorialising Peter Norman, a Melbourneian and our greatest 200 metre runner. He played an inspirational role in, was, in what was a defining moment in Australia's sporting history. So we have the dialogue, we'll be opening that dialogue in the next week or two. We have a pathway by which to work. It'll take some time but I'm quite confident that uh, we will have something in Melbourne City Square when the uh, redevelopment's finished. Now, I'd like to call on Peter Norman's biographer to come over, Damien Johnston. Yes, Joe said uh, I was the writer of, uh, of Peter's biography, uh, a race to remember. I think first off I should mention that Peter was born into a devout Salvation Army family in Melbourne in June 1942. His parents George and Thelma set a, a wonderful example to Peter and his three siblings, teaching them that all people were created equal regardless of colour, race and, or creed. Now I'm mainly just going to uh, speak about uh, Peter's stance on the dais because I think that's the most important thing. It was great that he won the silver medal, that was an incredible. Um, there's been a lot written and said about um, you know, the, the uh, animosity that there seemed to be between uh, uh, one African-American athlete and, uh, and one Australian <laughs> uh, athlete. Um, but once the race was over, the, the animosity between Peter and John Carlos just totally dissipated. Um, and immediately all the trash talk was forgotten and Peter and John made their peace in the dressing rooms by shaking hands and embracing. And, and Peter, Peter wasn't going to go on the dais unless he, had, unless he was able to wear an Olympic project for human rights so that he could show his support for the cause. The image of two black American athletes, African-American, they were known as black athletes back then, so I use that term, but African-American nowadays, uh, heads bowed, black glove fists, fists raised into the night sky and the so-called black power salute sent shockwaves throughout the stadium and ultimately throughout the world. 
Those three courageous athletes had delivered a powerful and provocative human rights message. It ensured that civil rights were seen as a universal issue rather than purely a US domestic issue. Now, Peter Cook quite easily disassociated himself from that protest and refused to proceed, participate in the medal presentation ceremony. But he knew only too well that his actions were likely to be seen as hypocritical. After all, his own country had an appalling record, that's our country, had an appalling record for having treated its indigenous people as less than second-class citizens. But Peter Norman was a man of conviction. Racial discrimination was abhorrent to him. He firmly believed that all people were created equal and had a natural-born right to be treated that way. And Peter said of the ceremony, it's been said that sharing my silver medal with that incident on the victory day has detracted from my performance. This is a quote from Peter. On the contrary, getting across the line between the two of them in the actual race itself was my moment of glory. The victory ceremony in no way detracted from that. I was very proud to run second and I was very proud to be on the victory dais with them when they made that statement. And it's been, it's been written in the papers that Judy Patching, who was the, uh, the head honcho as far as admin was concerned at those Olympics, Judy Patching's been quoted as, uh, as saying that uh, all sorts of things, that he chastised him for his support on the dais, but that was, that was far from the truth. Judy Patching told me himself when I was researching for the book, Peter had done the impossible in wonderful style and you can't ask for more than that. And in a typical Australian statement, Judy said he was bloody brilliant. And I think that sums it up uh, completely. And I'd just like to mention um, two other things. Peter was selected to carry the Olympic torch across Melbourne's Westgate Bridge as part of the Olympic torch relay in the lead up to the 2000 Olympics. But despite this honour, Peter was not invited by Australian Olympic officials to attend the Games. Shame, exactly. But by contrast, Peter's viewed by the American athletic associations and the athletes, he's viewed as an Olympic hero. Um, and legendary figures like Michael Johnson and Edward Moses they were in Sydney for the Games and they never forgot Peter's support of Tommy and John. Now, after learning that Peter would not be attending the Games, those US athletic officials arranged for Peter and Jan to be flown to Sydney and they paid accommodation, plane tickets and Games tickets. That's how much they thought about Peter Norman. And and to quote Judy Patching again, he thought it was a wonderful gesture by the Americans to still recognise Peter's contribution on the day so many years later. He said, we don't understand in our country that an Olympic medalist is held in such high esteem. Here in Australia, we take it for bloody granted. That silver medal of Peter should have made a huge impact here, but it didn't. Now, I'd just like to finish with the reason that, that I set out to write Peter's biography. I wrote to Peter after the Mexico City Olympics congratulating him on his credible performance in winning the silver medal and his support on the dais. And actually I can quote the date on Sunday the 15th of December 1968. I got the shock of my life when a car pulled up in our driveway in Heathcote, which is up the bush, 
and out popped Peter and Ruth. Peter was on his way to Bendigo to speak to a speaking engagement uh, of young um, Christian students, but instead of travelling to Bendigo via the Calder Highway, he drove up via Lansfield and Romsey and, and added an extra 30 minutes or so to his journey. And much of that visit is a blur nigh on what's now just on 50 years later, but I remember not having film on my little Instamatic camera. So while Peter and Ruth had a cup of tea with my parents and, and siblings, I ran up to the local servo and got a, and got a film, which, which I'm really pleased they had it in stock. And uh, I had my photo taken with Peter, this medal around my neck. And, and those photos on, taken on that day still remain the most of my prized possessions. While I've met other Olympian, Olympians since, it remains the one and only time I've ever had an Olympic medal around my neck. No athlete since has ever impressed me quite like Peter. Not only because of the kindness he showed to a young bloke from the bush, but also because of the strength of character that he showed him in the ensuing years as he battled and overcome a number of obstacles in his life. Thank you for your attention today. Thank you. Um, I think there's only one person in Melbourne who's, who could be, could be, I don't think he is, but could be more Melbourne than Peter Norman, and that's Father Bob Maguire, and he's off-kick uh, Mr John Saffron, if they'd like to come up and say a few words. Say something inspiring, Bob. No, because Peter Norman is very inspiring because it tells an important thing through a story. So rather than just hectoring people about politics and theory and... You know, you get to tell a story that kind of says it without saying it. Would you not agree? I do agree, uh, John Safran, Australia's leading thought-provoking. Just get on with it. um, (laughs) I've decided I'm an African. Is that all right? Because that's one line. Where has it gone, the thing? I will stand with you. Because I discovered an African saying, Ubuntu. You heard that? You heard that? I am because you are. And I thought that's the perfect second line of that. I'm standing with you because I am because you are. That's what all these uh, these uh, movements around the world just now are all about. People trying to express all of this together. And the elites who are panicking and frightened, they're frightened even of fear itself, this is the answer, this, this gesture, being here today. How are you, comrade? You want to join up? Sign that man up immediately. We give him a take a knee, comrade. Take one for the side, isn't it? But I'm delighted, and God bless uh, Peter Norman. And then we're a funny mob, the Aussies. He knows this because he writes about us. The Aussies um, um, churned out an, uh, an apology, didn't they? in the Federal Parliament in 2012? Yeah, get the book, get the book. 2012, imagine. And it was an apology for all those things. We, why? We don't wait. Don't apologise now. Isn't it? The best apology is to become what he realised he had to become, and that is, I am because you are. So we have to link up again. That's what we've called this meeting. We need to smile more.
and we need to be weapons of mass construction. Why did you ask me here in the first place? No, no, it's good. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you to the organisers. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, call on. Mr. Exil Ops to say a few words. Thanks so much. Uh, it's amazing to be here. It's a story of, of action, isn't it? Like Father Bob said, you know, however small that gesture was, Peter Norman, it was huge, you know. The podium is like a stage and everyone was looking. And Peter Norman, who we're here to commemorate today, took an opportunity to show solidarity. And the most important part of that story, I also want to say it's a privilege to be speaking in front of his family members today. Absolutely amazing. Um, and But that story of solidarity didn't stop on the podium. And that's probably what moves me the most about Peter Norman's story. Uh, he continued throughout his life to refuse to sell out the athletes that he stood with. He continued throughout his life to refuse to go public and say that he regretted his actions, because he didn't regret his actions. And, and this cost him many things personally. Um, that, oh, as you read the story, it would have put great strain on himself. But it, the, the point is that when you're doing the right thing, as Peter Norman did, uh, it really is important not just to do it once, but to continue to do it, particularly when you have such a presence. There's many things that the Australian Olympic Committee, uh, with their acts of complete bastardry, really, against Peter Norman, couldn't stop. And one of them is that he is still, to this day, the fastest man in Australian history over 200 metres. Put your hands together for his athletic achievement alone. Because that's the... What I, what I really wanted to talk about was how defining sport can be around these issues. There's some theories that say that sport is bread and circuses, that it distracts us from the great mission, which is equality, as Melbourne Council has already said. It distracts us from, from uh, changing the world. But pe people like Peter Norman and people like Nicky Winmar, when he walks up to the Collingwood, the, the, the racist people from... Uh, it doesn't matter what club they were for, racist supporters, and lifts his jumper and points at his, his black skin... Uh, people like Kathy Freeman, who fly the Aboriginal flag, and of course she copped it too from the, the Commonwealth Games Committee. People like Adam Goods, and they call that racism on the field. We have very recent and modern history in this country of the same treatment that Peter Norman got being meted out again, whether it be against black athletes that stand up or white athletes that stand in solidarity with them. So really, as inspiring as this story is, the time is now, as has already been said, to continue this fight. And the idea of having a memorial where we can stand and say what we are, you know, I, like a Spartacus moment for us all, hopefully, would be an amazing contribution to this city. You know, the Lord Mayor Robert Doyle said that he's going to open a dialogue and I really do congratulate the members of the Melbourne Council who are here today because that says something. Because as Father Bob said, it's what we do, not what we say. But in that letter that was read out that Robert Doyle said, I, I, I heard, I saw some glaring omissions, frankly. But I think the conversation needs to be moved on. He said he wanted to congratulate Peter Norman for his contribution to Australian sporting history. But Peter Norman's contribution, his record stands. Robert Doyle doesn't need to tell us that he's the greatest 200 metre athlete of all time in this country's history. We don't need to hear that from the Mayor. What we need to hear is the Mayor acknowledge his contribution to civil rights in this country, to stopping racism in this country, to showing solidarity with people around the world who are trying to stop racism. So maybe when you redefine your narrative, Robert Doyle, you might be able to come to the party a bit more, but I look forward to that conversation. It's good to know we've got some good people in there fighting for that. 
So yeah, please consider whenever you see a, a sporting event. It's, it also, um, there's another one. I'm sorry, I'm rambling a bit. I didn't prepare, but the West Indies going to England. The great book Beyond the Boundary. You know, the first all-black West Indian side that went to England and beat the English Test cricket team on their own turf. These things are not just about sporting victories. They're about when you draw a white line around a piece of grass, and when you say these are the rules and these are the uncorruptible officials. I'm an Australian rules football umpire. I'm a member of the Victorian Amateur Football Association. Umpires aren't corrupt. Umpires do the best job they can. When you draw a white line around it, you get an official who's actually willing to enforce and make sure the game is played by the rules. We see racism crumble. We see those that have been so deeply disadvantaged by policies like child removal, land theft, like the Aboriginal people here. We see them rise up and win Brownlow medals, premiership medals. Once the playing field is even, we see the champions emerge. And that's a really important thing to remember when we're watching sport, is that sport can be a great sort of lightning rod for these issues. Because once you draw a white line around it, and everyone's got an even playing field, wouldn't it be nice if society was like that? Thank you, then we see, then we see just how talented, skillful, and in many cases, simply the best, because that's what sport's good for. If you kick the goal at the right time, if you run the fastest 200 metres, there's no argument with that. Then we see who the best is and who's got the most determination, who has the most, the most skill, all those things. So these stories are so important and it's, it's hard to believe that 50 years on we're still here. We're still struggling with the Northern Territory intervention. We're still struggling with players being racially vilified over the fence in Australian rules football. But with groups like this and the committee, we're going we're gonna to win. Because we have to win. We're going to win, yeah? yeah. We're going to get that memorial to Peter Norman in City Square. Yeah, and then we're going to stand on it. And I just want to finish by saying one thing, one more thing. One of the most important lessons that I've taken from Peter Norman's legacy recently when I was researching this, this talk was when he was asked about being put on the podium at a statue, which is an American university, he said, take me out of it so that everyone can stand. And it is that humility, that humility in putting himself behind the cause and behind the black athletes that were standing up for their people, which I think we should all take forward in our fight against racism. Be humble, be active, be angry when necessary, and join the fight when necessary, but always stay humble in the face of this. And we're going to win. See you next year at City Square. Uh, I don't think we'll be at City Square. It's going to be five years. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55am, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. You're tuned into The Sewer Show and we're bringing you recordings from an event organised by the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee. Look, uh, this is a coalition of forces. It's not just us who are here and people who know the story, but it's our interaction with the Melbourne City Council who have ultimate authority over the city square, although it's been compulsorily applied by the state government for the period of the work. And the relationship of the committee with the Melbourne City Council has been to date a very productive one and we wish to continue on that because we've had a lot of support from individual councillors and uh, we appreciate the fact that we are actually able to gather here today 
and uh, continue this campaign. It is a long campaign. It's not going to happen you know, in a year or two. It is a long campaign. It's going to take energy and it's going to take time and it's going to take patience. I'll call on Les Thomas Wurundjeri, uh, man. Thank you, Joseph. And uh, I'd like to pay my respects uh, to uh, Wurundjeri people of these Kulin nations on which we gather, uh, all Aboriginal people, and I want to extend that as well uh, to all people of colour, uh, recognising the reality of the world in which we live and this race that we continue to run. Um, I also want to pay uh, special respects to the family uh, of Peter Norman. Um, my friend and brother Jay, uh, when he asked me to come and say a few words, didn't know, but there is a, a family connection uh, to Peter via my father who taught alongside Peter at Williamstown Tech. And um, I remember being a really young kid playing around, you know, the teacher's feet at the Al Prince Albert Hotel in Williamstown uh, back in the day, and uh, Peter was helped. Ian Thomas is my dad, so don't hold it against me. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he set his respect, and, uh, yeah, he always had great admiration uh, and uh, yeah, always regarded him as a, as a great friend. Um, and as we know, Peter had a lot of difficulties and struggles through his life, and um, but he was always, yeah, somebody who would be there for other people too, uh, which was very important. Um, you know, some of my friends here don't recognise me in a suit, but it's the least I can do to, to show my respects. Knowing Peter, knowing how humble he was firsthand, um, yeah, w one of the privileges I had was to talk to him directly about 1968 and what that event meant to him. And I was pretty fired up and agitated at the time, getting ready to go up to uh, join the protest against the Sydney Olympics. And um, when I spoke to him, I was really kind of shocked that, you know, for Peter, it was all really very clear and in the frame of the principles of his Salvation Army background, you know. So, so he was true to his beliefs. He stood up when it mattered. He lived by his principles. And we all can acknowledge how different the world would be if people live more by the example of Peter Norman. So, so some people might ask the question, you know, who is this white guy, you know, in the States apparently, Tommy Smith and John Carlos are quite well known, uh, Peter Norman a whole lot less so, but this is a really important story for this local uh, area. And yeah, he was fully conscious of the reality back home and that gave him insight, I think, uh, to, to want to stand with those men who he saw as brothers as well as competitors um, in that critical moment. And there was, like, it's hard to think of a more momentous year in history than 1968 when so much was happening with the Vietnam War, with May 68 in Paris and so on. This was a few short months after the assassination of Martin Luther King and so on. So there was gravity to that. So when I think about that, this story, when I think about how to talk to my kids about it, 
it is very much about walking in those footsteps uh, to actually look to this example of courage, actually acting in a real way with humility, with respect. That is a word I want to emphasize, respect. Because imagine the heat in that change room, you know, in that moment when they didn't really know each other, but because there was an understanding and a shared moment, a shared mission that gave, that made them lifetime friends and comrades who cared for one another. So we may not be able to run as fast as Peter Norman, but we can certainly uh, walk ahead in his footsteps. I know that this committee is an extremely determined one, given that the um, past work for Tanaminawake and Mordboy Henna's mem memorial, which took a tw full 12 years, but there was no stopping them until they finished their job. So I give them a round of applause for that. And I know that being placed in a location like City Square, this is a story that people are going to want to share in. And these stories are going to be extremely powerful. They inform uh, a, a better way for us to be. And, yeah, may we continue to take from that example and be better people as a result. Thanks very much. I'd like to invite uh, Darren Lee to come to the microphone. Uh, Darren's been running a Peter Norman Day Facebook page. Saw a vision of connecting a, a younger generation of, uh, and helping share awareness uh, about Peter's journey. And, and, uh, and as a result, it's just been a really um, proud creation of sharing awareness and, and with a view to bridge the gap of, of making really good positive change about um, connecting younger generations with... Uh, you know, making change from the ground up. And, for examples, during the, the Facebook page, uh, I receive um, comments from mothers in Sydney whose five-year-old daughter has made Peter Norman their project at school and, and they get to post artworks and, and there's guys with tattoos, that, you know, posted on the page and, and uh, a, a guy who um, recorded a song who's said, yeah, it would be a, an honour if you could play the song today. So uh, I just want to introduce myself as... As somebody who's created a page and it's there for everybody to use and it's pretty easy to find with the Peter Day, Peter Norman Day Facebook page. Um, and also, interestingly, I've found that so many um, uh, media outlets around the world have, uh, you know, once they catch wind about this story, uh, there's nothing stopping them from, whether it's America or Belgium or Amsterdam, they're all doing stories on, uh, on this topic and it's just been a really good way to, to continue to post these stories uh, with a tagline of saying another country other than Australia doing something about this. So I'm just trying to build this sort of war chest of stories and uh, to try and hoodwink an Australian to finally taking a stand and, and doing their own story. And I think, you know, with the 50-year anniversary coming up next year, um, with, your, with everyone's support, we'll hopefully get a few more stories from our own country that I'll be able to put on the page. So for some reason it's not happening. We all know why. But, um, yeah, please use the page, um, use it as a resource and, um, and share it when you get home. And, uh, yeah, you'll know who I am now. So thanks for your time. Thanks, Peter. Uh, I'd like to call on uh, Councillor Sue Bolton from the uh, Moreland City Council. Would you like to say a few words? Hi, how's it going? 
And I'd also like to pay my respects to the Wurundjeri Nation, the Kul- the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, because we're standing on land that was stolen and never ceded. Um, and I think we always need to recognise that. Um, I just wanted to speak very, very briefly. Um, I was um, the councillor on Molan Council that moved a motion that Molan should um, do something to commemorate the stance that Peter Norman took. Um, I think Peter Norman reflects a current which goes back... Um, to the early days, uh, which uh, was an anti, anti-racist current within Australian society, uh, which existed uh, and in combat with the racist current that's always gone through Australian society, because Australia was founded on racism and you can't force people to do terrible things to other human beings, to, to the First Nations people, without some form of racist ideology to dehumanise those people. And so racism has existed in Australia since the very beginning of, um, of the English invading this country. But there's also been another strong strand of anti-racism uh, going alongside that that's combated against racism and has been going, you know, both the resistance of the First Nations people but also anti-racist activists going way back as well. And so Peter Norman represents that second stream, uh, that second stream of people who've fought against racism and taken a stance. And I think this is a really um, important stance that he took um, all those years ago at the Mexico Olympics. Um, And I think it should be recognised, and it is quite... um, you know, when the uh, ruling class tries to say that politics and sport don't mix, that means that they don't want progressive politics and sport to mix because the fact that they sort of really deleted Peter's name and sporting achievements after he got back to the Olympics means that um, they only want right-wing politics to mix with sport, not progressive humanitarian politics. So I think that is um, very important that it be commemorated. Um, the council in Moreland is in contact with the family, the Peter Norman's family, about what sort of commemoration um, should happen. And I think certainly the view of the family, I understand, is a very community kind of commemoration, um, is what it should be. And I think the council is hoping that something can be ready for uh, the anniversary of the... Uh, Mexico Olympics, the 50th anniversary next year. So um, hopefully that process can be expedited so that that can come into fruition so that we can have a gathering um, in uh, Moreland, uh to commemorate Peter. And I think certainly it would be good to actually have some recognition from some of the sporting clubs in Moreland of um, Peter's, um, both his connection with those clubs but also his important civil rights stance. So I think that's really important and that's really all I have to say is that Peter was a representative of that second very important aspect of Australian society that fought against racism and that's something we've got to cherish and we've got to build on because we know we've got that struggle ahead of us today, right now, as the racists are trying to make a big comeback and as they're trying to um, 
erase, um, especially the First Nations history, and we've got to fight that um, attempt to historically erase anti-racist struggles, but also the, um, the, you know, the genocide which happened in Australia, which is still not, not, not acknowledged by the authorities in Australia. So thank you. And for the last of our uh, official speakers, I'd like to call on Benjamin Sanders, Poet IQ. Thank you, Jim. First off, I'd like to thank everyone for coming out. My respects to the enormous family. Being someone who is an American mutt, that means I am part First Nations of the Muscogee and Creek in, from Alabama, part Puerto Rican, part Scott Irish, and one part that I can't fully identify because of they were given a cruise ship journey to the Americas from Africa and they lost the travel log details. I hope what I say today inspires someone here to tell their child, their uncle, their relative, their enemy, we really don't have enemies, but you're not so recently made friend about the enormous legacy. I'm going to dedicate these words to my elders, my ancestors, thank you so much to the Wurundjeri for having us here and extending Womanjika to us all. I dedicate this also um, to my late scoutmaster and to people who are suffering with illness and disease and can't be here today. The sick, the shut-in. You learn a lot from the nation about how it treats its sick, its animals, people who are not in the dominant ruling class, and the poor. I want everyone to look very closely at this picture. As for me, I'm a third generation preacher's kid from Memphis, Tennessee, who this was the first picture I ever saw of a white Australian. This was in my history book, that picture, but only that viewpoint. Everyone see what's happening? You only see half to three quarters of the story. You don't get to see what actually roots the story in its most magnificent context. We see they're black, we see they're white-skinned. What we're missing is what causes the skewed view of black power to be constantly branded on top of this photograph. It is about black power, but to be honest, power is also about serving. They were barefoot when they went to accept their medals. They were insisting that the Olympic Committee actually embrace a responsibility to the poor of the world. So I hope I don't say anything horribly inappropriate, but damn O.J. Simpson and talk about him on Black Gloves. We should be talking about Peter Norman. We should be talking about what it takes to have the courage at a moment where you can actually sweep every political and ethical question under the rug and celebrate your own pride and vanity. In years of antiquity, as we get to a festival of questions, I have one. Why can't we embrace the fact that Peter Nolan is perhaps, especially because of this stand, the most noble example of an Olympian? that Australia has ever offered. 
In the ancient Olympiad, you could not just go to the Olympics because you were a great athlete. You had to represent the moral fiber and integrity, the most esteemed ideals of your city or your civilization. And then, then and only then would you be gifted the honor to compete on behalf of your country. Who can we name as an Olympian that sacrificed more than Peter Norman? You know what I call this photo? I call this the fair goal photo. I call it the fist of fairness photo. You can hashtag that if you need to, millennials. But what could be more Australian than everyone deserves a fair go? To be humble, to stand with people and to sing their blues out loud to the world by just standing in silence. What could be more noble? I heard a rumor that the first person to die coming dropped in the water once they reached the Australian shores was a black cook who was an African-American who was shaken into the water. I, it's a rumor. I don't know if it's true, but... I heard there was an African-American who died coming to these shores. I've asked myself, since I've learned more about this photo, what was it that made him do it? Could he see the soles, the fingers of the children and students who had been shot in 1968, whose bodies were hidden so that the tourists wouldn't be upset? What was he standing for? The longer you look at it, the longer you ask a festival of questions of this photo, you only can admire the man all the more. He didn't lose a gold medal. He placed first in this photo because he was willing to let God's love, the gift of love, flow through him without reservation or condition. He should have been on a tub of Vegemite. He should have been on Wheaties. He should have been on Michael Jordan's Air Jordans so that they could see how high the human spirit really can soar. Lenny Wilkins wouldn't have been the assistant coach of the Dream Team if it hadn't been for Peter Norman. Kathy Freeman wouldn't have been running if it hadn't been for Peter Norman. I wouldn't be standing here breathing in front of you if he hadn't given me the best birthday present of my life seven years before I was born. Six. Next, next, next Monday is my birthday. You know, I'm going to tell my kids to celebrate Peter Norman all week. Because on Daddy's birthday, before Daddy was ever born, Australia stood first in formation for the world. So sorry, Beyonce, you're late to the party. But you can help us get the statue there, get the interactive monument there. I'd like for all of us to embrace what he really stood for. Peter Norman stood up for Elijah before Elijah was ever hit. Peter Norman would be asking us, why are we spending over $100 million to persecute people and ask a question to deny whether it's okay legally to deny people who love each other a chance to be wholly human? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. It's what stands at the base engraved in front of the Statue of Liberty. And for over 400 years, the U.S. Republic, because it is a republic, denied African Americans, black Americans, the chance to be black and exported the word nigger around the entire world. And this is the most downloaded photo saying that no one is a nigger. No one is worthless. If you are poor, you matter. If you are first nations, this is your land, and we are borrowing time on it. What more do we need to ask ourselves? 
if he were a war vet, scarred with bullets all over his body, we would have monuments and trees of honor planted. We wouldn't have waited. But he carried all of our shame at denying humanity to other individuals. And as a black man, as the father of two black American Australians, I am so, so very proud to have lived as a citizen in Warland, to have been on the streets where he would have walked. The whole world, every time you hear Black Lives Matter, it's saying all lives matter. But until we embrace the blues and the experience of black people, you are not fully human. So why do we invent the word nigga? Why do we hold loving people at a distance? Peter Norman right now will be asking us to use the 100 million plus to make sure the homeless have swags, to fix the broken heart. He will be holding the hand and standing up for women and people who are suffering from breast cancer. He will be asking us, begging us to make a world where our children do not stand every day in fear of being obliterated by a nuclear bomb. Maybe I'm too passionate. It's a black thing. I like good music and good blues too. Maybe it's the reason why I came here. But I look at your faces and I see a hope. Maybe there should be a sister statue where Peter Norman is quietly standing. And we get to stand on a podium. Your dream of being golden and lift our hands where Tommy Lee and John Carlos would have stood. Because I ain't gonna lie to you, I, I couldn't believe that before hip-hop started, a white guy ran down a black dude in a sprint from America. I do blame hip-hop, Parson. We've gotten used to hearing gunshots. It used to be we heard a gunshot. As a black man, you thought you were about to be lynched, and you took off running with extra adrenaline. Nowadays, we're used to hearing gunshots. Unfortunately, we're also used to seeing homeless people who used to have a job, were made redundant, and their dignity is broken and shattered, and we refuse to pick up their pieces and make a kaleidoscope of dignity. Peter Norman is offering us that chance. His legacy is offering us a chance not to just esteem footballers who go on ice. It's given us a chance to present a whole human, one who was at the peak, at the pinnacle of sporting excellence, but didn't let that define his role as a human being. He belonged to you. He belongs to me. He belongs to the world. And his image and the story of his legacy belongs here in the heart of Melbourne. They should also have one in Coburg because that's where he was born. So let's honor him by saying we'll take the time to spread love. We'll take the time and the energy and we'll make the effort to learn about all of Australia's history, especially the First Nations and the indigenous who were here because he was standing for Mabo. He was standing for me. He was standing for equal pay for Serena and Venus Williams at the Australian Open. He was standing in between those who would throw chairs and create violence at the Australian Open. He was standing in front of the rear bumper 
He was standing in front of the bonnet before someone drove through and tried to create, cause an act of terrorism. What they were doing is they're screaming out in pain. And this photo says, I feel your pain and I will stand with you. I will hold your hand. I will lift my hand. I will view you as a human, as a creation that is divine. I like for Australia, all of Australia, to stand with them. I was listening to Precious Lord take my hand when I was on the way here to start crying, so that's part of the reason why I was wearing sunnies. But we all ought to take into account when Aretha Franklin sings, Precious Lord, take my hand, or Mahalia sings, take my hand, that this man stood for all of us. He bore our sorrow. He gave Australia's best example of what it is to be loving to the world. Will you harbor me? Will I harbor you? This picture says, and says, I want to say yeah when I, when I sing this part. We will not bow down to our racism. We will not bow down to injustice. We will not bow down to exploitation. What you gonna do? I'm gonna stand. I'm going to stand. Muhammad Ali has his pictures. He's got his statues. Rhodesia and Zimbabwe, or Zimbabwe and now South Africa, both got rid of apartheid. As Australia did, it's apartheid light. There are more black American coaches, assistant coaches, than there ever have been because of Peter Norman. And now an athlete can be a full-time athlete and not be exploited by the IOC. These are the basic tenets of that badge. These are the tenets of what it means to give a fair go, to be the best Australian you can be. So thank you, Thelma, for giving birth to a light to the world. The next time they talk about Jesse Owens, they ought to be mentioning Peter Norman. The next time they talk about fighting hatred, they ought to say Peter's Norman name. I love you. I thank you for having me here. Thank you so much for your welcome. Joseph, thank you for all the work the committee has done. May Peter Norman's name live forever. Make sure we get Beyonce here and she can pay for the statue too. Look, you can have stirring speeches and I've been an activist for almost 50 years and I've had my, I've heard more than my fair share of stirring speeches and given one or two occasionally. But what makes a movement successful is the hard work of ordinary people. That's what makes a movement successful. It's not stirring speeches, but the hard work of ordinary people. And it's a pleasure to have been part of this committee.